Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry, and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. Today, we're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry, along with some of our own considerations. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, please enjoy today's program. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is leaving the elders of the church in Ephesus. And in his mind, he believed that it would be the last time he would ever see these ones with whom he had been so deeply attached in the Lord. His words to them were solemn and at times foreboding. But embedded in them was a verse of incredible meaning and feeling, a verse in a few words which conveys some of the most profound revelation in all of Scripture. Today we look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Stay with us as we consider this remarkable utterance on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and based on the ministry of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee. We have recorded portions today from Witness Lee's 1984 Life Study of Acts. And Francis Ball has joined us once again to examine this most significant and remarkable verse. Francis, this really is a marvelous portion in God's Word, isn't it? I am amazed at what's contained in this one verse, Chris. I'm looking forward to this message with much anticipation. Francis, I am also. Let's go ahead and get to this verse. Let me read it for our listeners. It's Acts 20:28, and I'm going to read from the recovery version of the New Testament. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has placed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained through his own blood. Francis, give us an opening word today from this incredible verse. It really is marvelous what's in this verse. I, uh, As you were reading it, and in reading it myself earlier, I realized this verse is really full. You have so many different accents here. There's an accent on take heed to yourselves. He's telling these brothers whom he had called together, who were the elders in the church in Ephesus, to uh, take heed to themselves, and not only that, but all the flock. So you have the elders, and they have the flock, and it says, among whom the Holy Spirit has placed you. Paul didn't consider that they were appointees of his apostleship, only, but that they were placed there by the Holy Spirit. This shows us a lot, too. And then he mentions to them that they are overseers. Even this word, overseers, applied to these elders is quite significant because uh, there's been teaching in the history of the church that overseers are something more than the elders. But this is absolutely wrong, and it's very clear here that the elders in Ephesus were the overseers of the flock in Ephesus, which he refers to in the same verse as the church of God. The main point is that he obtained this church through his own blood. Francis, that is the portion of the verse that we're going to primarily focus on. Let's go ahead and join Witness Lee with the first portion of this marvelous life study from Acts chapter 20. The church was acquired, and this word obtained could be translated into acquired or purchased. 
when you go to buy something, you purchase it, you acquire it. God acquired the church by purchasing it. To purchase something, you need to pay the price. For the purchase of the church, God paid his own blood long, long ago. I got much better. I check with myself, could God have blood? <laughs> Today you have this systematic theology. I don't think they can systematize this matter. You say, is God a man? Is God a creature? God is not a man. God is God. He is the creator. Then how could God the creator have blood? Uh, you may say, well, this is Jesus' blood. How could Jesus' blood be God's blood? And be God's own blood? Does a kind of blood belong to God? It's not logical. Jesus is God. But here it doesn't say Jesus. It says God. Since I must admit, it's really hard. Theologically, these annuls all theology. And this kills all the theologians. Do you have the bone to say that God died for you? Are you sure? How can it be that God should just die for me? The very God died for me. Before the incarnation, God didn't have the blood and God didn't die for us. He died after the incarnation, after he got mingled with humanity. Our God, the very God, God the Creator, the eternal God, God Elohim, Jehovah, he became mingled with man. He became no more merely God. He became a God-man. The one who died on the cross was not merely a man, but a man conceived with God and born with God. So that man was a God-man. God's very element was in that man. Not just in that man, God's divine element was mingled with that man's humanity. So, you have another verse, that is First John chapter 1 and verse 7, that says, the blood shed on the cross was the blood of Jesus, the Son of God. That was not only the blood of Jesus, but also the blood of the Son of God. This is why the very redemption accomplished by this God-man, not only by man, but by a man mingled with God, by the God-man, so his redemption is eternal. How could one man die? For millions of people. Man is limited, but God is not. Man is temporary, 
but God is eternal. So, in the redemption, there is the eternal, unlimited element of God. This is why the redemption is called the eternal redemption in Hebrew chapter 9. Francis Witnessley pointed out that this phrase can be somewhat unsettling, that God would have blood. God obtained the church through his own blood. That's the verse that we're looking at today. How is it, Francis, that God can have blood? I'm really intrigued with that question, Chris, how that God could have blood. That's a, something far beyond any kind of theological explanation. I know this is a stumbling block, I might say, for the theologians, that God could have blood. The way you ask the question, I believe, helps me to answer, because it's a fact that God came to have blood. Something happened. The God of the Old Testament never had blood. Before the Incarnation, you couldn't say that God had blood. But in the Incarnation, God himself, and I would just mention God himself in his entirety, as the triune God was incarnated in the person of Jesus Christ. And Brother Lee mentioned uh, our God, the very God, God the Creator, the eternal God, God Elohim, Jehovah. In that incarnation, this one got mingled with man. He became a God-man. For God to redeem man, man's blood needed to be shed. If it was only the blood of a man, however, it may be able to save or redeem one man, but only one man. How could he redeem millions of men with his blood? The blood he shed had to have something more than just uh, the factor of being human blood to uh, redeem humanity. It had to have blood with an eternal value, with an eternal efficacy. It must have the element of eternity. This God-man died on the cross, not only as a man, but also as God. So God came to have blood by the incarnation, by mingling himself with man. So the one who died there was both God and man. The blood he shed was not only the blood of Jesus, as a man, but also the blood of the Son of God. First John 1 John 1.7 makes this clear. To purchase the church requires God's blood. Francis, you, you touched these two key points, that the blood had both a human aspect and also a divine aspect, or an eternal aspect. Let me ask you about something you said earlier that intrigued me. When you uh, began to recount that God, at one stage, did not have blood, but then... Obviously, by this time, God did have blood. A feature of Witness Lee's ministry that we've touched many times on this broadcast is that our God has been processed. Right. Sometimes he uh, was criticized for such an utterance. But when you come to a verse like this, Francis, what other conclusion is there to draw? Yes, this is really so. And uh, I feel like this word, uh, processed, uh, while it uh, really stirs up the mentality of uh, traditional Christians who don't have a realization that God went through a process. He was God from eternity past, and he was always the triune God, and Jesus Christ was the eternal Son of God. But 
he became a man. God himself became a man. If that's not a process, then what is it? (laughs) Because at one time, he's just the eternal God who is spirit. But he got himself mingled or blended with man by becoming, as uh, John 1.14 says, the Word, which is God, became flesh. So he mingled himself with humanity. So there certainly is a process that he went through. And in that process, taking on or being blended or mingled with humanity, he certainly had blood that he could call his own. He could call this his own blood because Jesus Christ is God. He's Jesus the man, and he is the Son of God as God himself. Francis, this word, as we've pointed out already in the program, is saturated with light of God's divine revelation. Let's go back for more fellowship from Witness Lee. The Jewish concept concerning God is that God is God. In God, there's no human element. But, I tell you, the very God in the Old Testament became the very God in the New Testament. Yet, you have to realize, when he was in the Old Testament, he was merely God, without any human element. But, when he became the very God in the New Testament, he became God manifested in the flesh. He became a God-man. And he entered into a human virgin. And he got conceived there in her womb. And he was born out from that womb. Surely the human element God added to his divine element. We don't have a Savior as two persons. We only have a Savior as one person. But this one person with two natures, the divine and the human. Oh, this is hard. But this is a fact. So you could say, the God we have, we Christians have, is the God in the New Testament. Not the God still in the Old Testament. But the Jewish God still in the Old Testament. What is the difference between the Jewish God and our God? The Jewish God is merely God without anything human. But our God is today in the New Testament no more merely God. Our God today is a God-man. Our God today has two natures. He has his human element as well as his divine element. Today, our God is both the complete God and the perfect man. Yet, these are not two persons. These two natures added together, become one perfect one. What one? The God-man. Hallelujah! The God-man. In the life study, on Rook, we have pointed out, well, the Lord Jesus was dying on the cross. Well, he was crucified. Well, he was being crucified. On the cross, God was there. 
God's tail was there because he was born of God. He was born with God. How could that when he was dying, God went away, leaving him alone there? It's impossible. But you may say, how she prayed, my God, my God, why you have forsaken me? That was something economical. Just like he was born, he was conceived of and with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit became his very element, even essence of his being. But when he was 30 years of age, standing in the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. This doesn't mean before that descending, the Holy Spirit was not in him. Actually, the Holy Spirit was not only in him, the Holy Spirit was his very intrinsic essence of his divine being. But economically speaking, the Spirit hasn't descended upon him as the economical power for him to carry out his ministry. When she was dying on the cross, this economical spirit left him. But the essential element, essential essence of God still was there in his very being, which was dying on the cross for us. So God died there. The blood shed on the cross was not only the blood of the man Jesus, but also the blood of the God-man. So this is God's own blood. Paul uses these two uh, things. Number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two, God's own blood to indicate to his feeling by charging the elders there. The church is too precious. The church is under the care of the Holy Spirit and the church is bowed by God with his own blood. The church was a treasure in the eyes of God. So Paul treasured the church as God did. Now, Paul was charging the elders to treasure the church as God and Paul did. Francis, we've seen clearly today that Christ on the cross possessed both a human element and a divine, fully man, yet fully God. How do we then reconcile such verses as Mark 15:34 that speak of God forsaking Christ on the cross? If Christ was God, how could God forsake himself? Mark 15:34, where the Lord Jesus is on the cross, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To understand this cry, we have to review the fact that Christ was, first of all, conceived of the Holy Spirit in the virgin womb, in his uh, incarnation, making him both divine and human. Essentially, that is, in his nature, he was divine. God was in him. He was God. God never left him and could never leave him as to his divine essence. He had the divinity and also the humanity. 
when we look back at what transpired with him after his incarnation, at which time he was born of the Holy Spirit, we see that later, when he was 30 years old and he was baptized, the Spirit came upon him. Now, that certainly is not a different spirit. There's only one Spirit. He was born of the Spirit, and that gave him his essence, that he was divine. But the Spirit came upon him, and that gave him his commission, his anointing to carry out God's economy. Now, it's in that sense that the Spirit, or God, left him at the cross. Because he was anointed by this Spirit to carry out God's economy, and to carry out the economy of God, he had to be crucified to deal with the sins and all the negative things that frustrate God carrying out his purpose. And he became an offering of sin. He became, as Second Corinthians 5.21 says, he became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So at the time that he became sin, he was our sin offering. He was the one that was being sacrificed for our sins. And through that death could clear up everything. But God saw him at that point as sin and judged him. In that sense, the Spirit forsook him. The anointing Spirit left him. Essentially, God could never leave him. So it was God who shed the blood. It was God who died on the cross with the Lord Jesus. God, in his essence, never forsook Christ. But in his economy, and unless you see these two matters, it's easy to get confused. He is essentially God, and he always will be. He's also man. As a man, he died on the cross, and the economical spirit, if I could use that term, the economical spirit forsook him because he was an offering for sin. Francis, this is a mysterious aspect of the gospel. Uh requires a lot of consideration, but uh, the word today, coupled, I would say, with the life study message in its totality, would be a marvelous help to our listeners. We do want to recommend that. But before we leave the message today, I don't think we can uh, possibly conclude this program without coming back to this marvelous expression of Paul and his obvious uh, desire to bring these elders, these brothers from Ephesus, into his own appreciation of how precious the church is to God. Yes, Chris, we have to be deeply impressed with the preciousness of the church to God. So precious to God that he obtained the church with his own blood. This church is a real treasure in the sight of God. He paid such a price to obtain or to acquire the church. Paul certainly had God's view of the church, and consider that all he did, he even considered that all he did and all he said and all he wrote must be for the church. He urged the elders to have this same evaluation and care, receiving the charge with God's own heart concerning the church. What a shame that today... So many have such a false understanding and view of the church, which is the very body of Christ purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, and I might say with his own blood. What a difference it would make if the leading ones and all the believers 
could have such a realization of the preciousness of this purchased possession, the church of God. Francis, we talk a lot as we bring this ministry to people across the country for the first time about recovery. Of course, uh, the version of the Bible that we're using is the recovery version. And from time to time, we speak about items that God is desiring and has recovered even in this age. We would certainly have to classify this among those that an appreciation, a realization, a valuation of the church of God according to his view is certainly something he desires to bring all of his people into. This is Marvelous Fellowship. I've surely enjoyed our time together in this verse, Francis. Thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it, too. We would like to point out, by the way, that the Life Study message we referred to earlier is available to you in volume number three of the Life Study of Acts, which includes messages, I think, about 35 or 36 through 55. This is message 54, and it's included in that bound volume. And if you're interested in that, we invite you to call us, or if you'd just like to call and leave your comments, we hope that you will. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. Today, for Francis Ball, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more information on Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, please visit our website, lsm.org. Again, that's lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.